arms raised and uh, God has laid upon me to pre- uh, speak from this passage since January and I've been working through the book of Isaiah just as uh, you have been doing uh, by thanks to internet downloaded all the uh, messages and often during my exercise time I've been listening and this particular passage that's called the value of vision God has been impressing upon me that's from Isaiah 22 for the past six months I never had to wrestle with a single passage for that long and so a lot of the things I'm sharing it is my struggle and what God is doing in and through me and around me so that's because I'm not a typical preacher I do leadership development in a corporate context so this is my sharing from my heart I believe God has appointed us for the nations and kingdoms that's just not for my family But I really believe, and especially as we go through this message, you will see, that's the calling for all of us that God has appointed us over the nations. And very specifically, this passage has been speaking to me lately, is from uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 7. It says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And I believe the scriptures tells us, because of Adam and Eve and our continuous sinning, you and I have been removed from the physical presence of God. We are no longer in the Garden of Eden. In that sense, uh, you and I are in exile. But as people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, which we will celebrate at the communion, and those of us who have accepted that uh, the gift, free gift from God, we as redeemed people are called to do two things from this passage. Number one, become involved in the matters of the land. That is the economy, the social justice in every sorts. The second aspect, work for peace and prosperity. The peace that came to you and I through the blood of Jesus Christ, which we'll be celebrating later, there are billions of people haven't come across that. In our land, more than 99.999% have not encountered that peace. So we are there being the channels of blessing to share this peace with us. Prosperity is well-being in every sense. As I mentioned earlier, physically, uh, emotionally, social-wise, in every sense. So that's our calling on that. And because we are a company and we are known in the marketplace for leadership development, we also get invited a lot for leadership seminars, conferences, and often they'll be called summits. Because often in this kind of places, the objective is, is to invite leaders so that they can inspire others with a strong vision, cast vision, and also to provide executive and managerial leadership. That's the focus. So often they will call these places a leadership summit. And sometimes we get invited to go and speak at these summits too. And this morning, Isaiah in chapter 22 is inviting you to a summit uh, which Pastor Sunda took you through three years ago. And I'm following very much the same passage, but with a little bit of input from an IW, international worker perspective, uh, or people like us who leave this land and go overseas. We are called no longer the M word, because it's a much hated word in our part of the world, so we are known as international workers. But Isaiah's focus is slightly different. If you see the title of the passage, it says the Valley of Vision. And it is, no, it is not a summit. Because this is Isaiah's very powerful way of labeling the condition of the people. The condition of the people, they were extremely short-sighted. 
what was in front of them, they responded in a practical sense. And what Isaiah through the entire book is calling us is, yes, the executive and managerial leadership is important. But far more important is theological leadership that goes beyond what we see with the visible reality. But it goes to the invisible reality that we can only see the eyes of faith that have long-term implications and eternal significance. That is the call of Isaiah. Hence this passage is called the Valley of Vision because people who are there are not bought into the invisible reality. They are stuck in the visible reality. So the, the first three verses are very clearly showing what the people did. If you see the highlighted verses, let me read that for you. On that it says, starting with verse 8, The God stripped the defenses of Judah, and you looked in that day to the weapons in the palace of the forest. You saw that the city of David had many breaches in its defenses. You stored up water in the lower pool. You counted the buildings in Jerusalem and tore down houses to strengthen the wall. You built a reservoir between the two walls, for the water of the old pool. But you did not look to the one who made it. Or have regard for the one who planned it long ago. The Lord, the Lord Almighty called you on that day to weep and to wail. To tear out your hair and to put on sackcloth. But see, there is joy and revelry. Slaughtering of cattle and killing of sheep. Eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, you say, for tomorrow we all die. The Lord Almighty has revealed this to, to my hearing. This is Isaiah's words. Till your dying day, this sin will not be atoned for, says the Lord, the Lord Almighty. So the first three verses clearly shows how much this group of people were stuck with the visible reality. If you look at it, the highlighted passage, the words, they looked, they saw, and they counted. What did they see when they looked? The walls have been breached. In ancient days, the primary line of defense and protection is the city walls. So if you breach the city walls, the city is in trouble. So here they clearly see the walls are breached. They saw that and they counted because there is not enough building material to rebuild the walls. So what did they do? They counted the houses and they say, how much houses we needed? These are the number of houses we could live without. And they broke those houses, took the building material, and build, rebuilt the wall of the city. What's wrong with that? It's a very practical, logical response. You and I may do the same thing if it happens to our houses or our cars or anything. We will just fix it. But yet, the response from, the God, is quite, from God is quite different. Here he's saying, till your dying day, this sin will not be atoned for, says the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Before we look at why God responded in such a way, which it looks very harsh, given the way they have responded, the people. Because if you look at the people's response, you can say it's very logical and practical. You may even say it's sacrificial. Do you know why? Some people gave up their houses to be broken so that they can use the building material to build the walls. So it's logical and sacrificial. How is that that God is responding this way? 
Because the passage is very clear, the people responded to the visible reality. Before we look at why God responded the way we look at it, let's examine the visible reality of the land that we are, you have sent us to. It is a land over 80 million people, almost 80, especially with the Syrian uh, uh, crisis. We have refugees coming literally in thousands daily. I met somebody in the plane yesterday. He's from the northern part of Iraq. Even, a lot of things are brewing. And out of the 80 plus million, the followers of Christ from a Muslim background is 3,500. That won't come in your calculator in any decimals unless you increase it. That's a visible reality from that perspective. It's not lack of people not going there and sharing the gospel. Over 50, 60 years of um, reach out has been there. People have gone there and died, and some of them have died as martyrs, never to come back. They have tried everything you can imagine under the sky in terms of techniques, but yet that's the visible reality. And if you look at the political side, six, seven years ago, when, when we were newer there, the country was known as the model among the Islamic countries. Now it has gone backwards. Democracy is just a joke. And it has the, the, the notoriety for being the country along with China and Iran, the highest number of uh, journalists that are imprisoned. Last year, a protest for freedom and democracy was squashed, 90 people died within that short window. And it's continuing, and a lot of the numbers are not reported. This is the visible reality. We don't see people flocking to Christ. It's a very common story. We have friends who have been there over 20 years. They have even taken local citizenship, changed their names. They have as local as they get. You ask them, some of them have seen one person come to Christ, some of them have seen none. And that's the common story, and that's the visible reality. So what do you do in a visible reality like that? Let me share with you what I have done in a visible reality like that. I quit. In the mid-80s, I was in Sri Lanka. I was in business, uh, working uh, in a managerial capacity. I also volunteered with Youth for Christ. And I was really committed uh, for youth evangelism. But at that time, the northern part of Sri Lanka had the civil war, and that uh, spread and the southern part also uh, they have a civil war simultaneously both in the north and south the heat was too much I quit I played a Jonah there I didn't pray I didn't ask God I, I there was no guidance I just I had a uh, ability to get a ticket out of the country I got out just like that that was quitting that's what I did in that situation and if you look at a land where we are average international worker lasts for about two years and that's how long it takes to learn the language in the first place I'm not looking down on them because if not for God's mercy and your prayers and support, we would have quit. I would have quit at 15 months line when I was struggling with the language. Or we would have quit four years ago when I was, because of my personal sin, we were working through our marriage crisis. Because of God's grace and because of your support, God has kept us there and not quitting. So I'm not looking down on anyone who are quitting. But that's a typical response when we focus just on the visible reality. And there's another sort of response. We don't quit. But what we do is we play it safe. There are several ways we play it safe. One is when the visible reality is so painful, what we do is we drown that pain with both legitimate and illegitimate pleasures, so that we don't have to feel it. Just like these people read, said, let's, uh, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What's the big deal? We are already saved. We got the insurance policy. 
So that's, we, you and I play it safe. And how have I played it safe? As I mentioned, we are in business. And the business is going stronger and God is blessing. So there is this temptation to protect that. What if they know who we are? <laughs> the first three years of business, even when I pray, towards the end I mumbled the name of Jesus. Do you know why? I was playing it safe. But praise God, God convicted me. And now we are very upfront the last three years. Right from the beginning, we are followers of Christ. We want to share the same love with you. But it's so easy to play it safe. And there's another thing happens when you play it safe. What happens is, when you play it safe, it's no longer about your calling. It is about preserving you and your identity. So my identity, if you ask a person in that land, they will say, Suresh is a general manager of a business consultancy. So when you try to preserve that, you become focused about who you are and what you do, as opposed to what God is doing. And the same temptation is there to other international workers too. They can be so inward focused, a project like translation of the Bible can cause rift among believers. That's exactly what happened in our land. Because the translation, what we have, some of the people felt it's not really touching the local people. So there's a new translation. And during the translation process, what happened is, uh, there are a group of people, they did the first draft and they consulted with some of the local leaders. And the way it was done, not God honoring, to open conflict, they will not talk to each other. Then it spread the same conflict among brethren like us who have gone from here to there. And to make a long story short, it became so ugly, there were internet-based blogs and petitions over the word of translating of Bible. Why? Because we played safe, we became inward focused, as opposed to focusing on what God is really calling us. That is the invisible reality, not the visible reality. So, of course, when we do that, that's the ultimate result. That is saying, this kind of sin will not be atoned for. So how do we look at the invisible reality? And this passage, right at the beginning, at verse 8, it says, The Lord stripped away the defenses of Judah, and you looked in that day to the weapons outside. So it is the Lord who has done this. To understand better, the people of Israel at that time, they were the people of the covenant. God called a man called Abraham. He was not holy or anything worthy. God chose. And he, God said, through you I will bless the nations. I will make you a blessing to the nations. And you and I, as spiritual children of Abraham, because we have accepted Christ into our lives, we are called to become a blessing to the nations. And part of the blessing to that nation of Israel was the land. Land was a free gift given to the people. But God also said, if you defile the land, meaning in the way how you worship God, you will lose the land. And there were warnings. So when the land came under attack, the first response should have been, what have we done against the Holy One that this kind of breach is happening and we are about to lose the land. In fact, they did lose the land. They all were taken into exile. But instead of asking that, they looked, they saw, they counted, they built. That's what they did. So that is the invisible reality. God is saying, 
It is I. I am behind these kings, Assyrians and Babylonians, who are attacking your land. It may look like the, there's a financial crisis. It may look like our government is going the other way in our land. It may look like the things around us are not as strong as it should be. But what God is saying is, I am the one who is behind. So what is the kind of response God is calling for? He's saying, you did not look to the one who made it. That's me. Or have regard for the one who planned it long ago. I like the translation for this one from Eugene Peterson. uh, From the message, uh, the translation, he says, You looked, 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 but you never looked to him who gave you this city. Never once consulted the one who has long had plans for this city. What God was calling is, look, I am the one who gave you this. I have plans for the city. So when the city comes under attack, you should have been running to me. Not to go on your own and do the practical, logical things and go and party. That's exactly what they did. And how are we to do that? Then verse 12 says it. It says, the Lord, the Lord Almighty called you on that day to weep and to wail, to tear and tear out your hair and put on sackcloth. Because sometimes, you and I, I have caught myself, we do what I call is a token repentance. Often before the, we, we partake in, um, in communion, we are asked to reflect. And I, I do repent. And then I feel good, everything is clean, I take part, I'm like that, I'm fine. But here the kind of repentance, what God is calling is, is grieving. This kind of, in Eastern, in the Middle East and all you will know, this kind of grievance goes for, can go for days and weeks. It's not just done, forgiven, okay, let's get on with life. But that's what God is calling because that's what it does before the Holy God, the things that you and I engage in. We are no different than Israelites. But for some reason, for the, because of grace of God, you and I are spared. We are still here. But that's, that's the warning God is giving. So this has to be the response, the threefold. The first one on that. And there was another parallel story in the scriptures. It's from the book of Nehemiah. The walls are even worse than how it was during, uh, during the time of Isaiah. Here if you look at it, the walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burnt with fire. This time it's even worse. And thankfully here we see a godly leader who chose to look at not the visible reality. Because if you look at the visible reality, you will respond with practical sense. That's where the executive and managerial leadership comes. That's practical sense. But Nehemiah looked at the theological leadership. What is God saying here? So what he did is, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. And I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. That was Nehemiah's response. Because for days, and in the book of Nehemiah, you will see in August, when we go through that, it says... Not only he did that, he led the group of people. He first confessed, he said, God, what, I, what have I done that has resulted in this? 
He is sincerely asking God, search me, O God. Is there a wicked way within me that has caused this? Show me because I want to confess. It's not a blanket confession of forgive my sins, O Lord. I want the specific things that I have done. Then he says, what we have done as community, what we have done. He's confessing on that. But he's not staying within a prayer closet and remaining there. What he's doing is, after that, he does rebuild the walls. You see the trouble that we are in Jerusalem. Sorry, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been burnt with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He does respond in action. But the action is preceded by heartfelt confession and repentance. Only in a restored relational context, he chooses to act the way God is directing. But often what I have done in my path is, I take my practical wisdom, I see the visible reality, I fix the problem, and I move on. Do you know why? The problem hurts too much for me to remain in. Because I don't like pain. Most of us don't like pain. But that kind of pain is needed from time to time for us to run back to God and ask, God, where have I sinned? So that is the response you and I are called to have, both for the visible and invisible reality. But the problem is, visible reality comes to us immediately. But the invisible reality, you and I have to look for it, because only through the eyes of faith that is revealed. And it's not a quick process. It's not a quick thing, it's a process. And here, the first thing we saw is self-examination and repentance. And when I look at, uh, as I was working through this message the past four to six months, I asked myself, Suresh, what are the things uh, I should be repenting for? God brought two things to my mind as I have been wrestling. Number one is the whole question of identity. Of course, I'm a follower of Christ. I know that. But in functioning... Because of various roles that you and I have in our lives, what happens is, the things that we do for God replaces often God. I'm a general manager of a company, and I run that. And last three to four years we have been growing, and God has blessed, and we have even used some of those monies to bless the global advance, and also some of the impoverished schools in our neighborhood, about 11 schools in where we live. It's so easy for me to pat my back and say, me and my team, look how great we are, what we are doing. As opposed to recognizing, I am nothing. I am just a sinner at the foot of the cross who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and sustained by the Holy Spirit and who is carrying me through and from time to time he gives me the grace and wisdom to do these things so my identity is first and foremost and has to be to the nth degree to follower of Christ but I struggle with that I let others come into my life and then along with that comes the pride and that's something I have to repent almost on a daily basis because every day when I see something good my first temptation is I don't directly do that, but I pat my back or pat the back of my team. But it is from God. So that is the first one. Second thing, what I have noticed is in my life, I talk about community, but I don't offer the same community to the local brothers and sisters. 
I am there, I am sharing the word with them, I pray with them, I listen to them, but I am also very quick to come back to the protection of my comfort of my family. Because the family is a blessing God has given. But again, that is not my primary identity. But even our community, even what we do this Sunday morning can become our identity so much away from that you and I are called to offer community, especially to those who are not followers of Christ. Because one of the primary ways our Muslim brothers and sisters know that we are true followers of Christ is how we live and offer community. You can argue with them, you will win arguments. You can be very strong in all those things. Nothing will win. There are two things they always respond. A prayer that is bathed in scriptures, led by Holy Spirit. When you pray, they respond. And how you model community within our family and how you extend it to them. And I don't do that enough. I withdraw from them. I come to my private world. And of course, after doing this, we need to put things right the way God directs. The Nehemiah did rebuild the walls, or his team did rebuild the walls the way he directs. And what I'm seeing more and more is that rebuilding is a combination of actual physical activity, in our case running a company and various things, but also there's a spiritual warfare going on in our land, and in this land too. And to some of our brothers and sisters in our land, there's a physical warfare, because not too long ago, Three, three of them were martyred. And that's the price they pay when they become followers of Christ. One was a German worker from overseas and two are locals. They were tortured and martyred. Because that's the price when you start doing, putting things right the way God directs. There's always a cost. Nehemiah has to leave his prestigious position as a cupbearer. Cupbearer is not an ordinary position. Do you know why? You are the person most trusted by the king. He had the comfort of the palace. He could have just carried on. But when he heard that the walls of Jerusalem are lying in ruins, he confessed, he cried out to God, then he went and said to the king, I am going back, please help me. And the king helps, actually. So that's the second thing, putting things right as God directs, not the way you and I do with human wisdom. Let's break some bricks and, sorry, break some uh, things that are existing and build a new wall. Problem solved. Let's go and party. But do you know what? God is not against celebrating. In fact, the last part uh, I want to share is Nehemiah 8.10. After Nehemiah has had this confession, and the solemn assembly led the people through confession. And while they are done the rebuilding of the walls, then comes to a point. God, Nehemiah says to the people, tell the people, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God is not against you and I having pleasure, but He wants to have the best pleasure, but sadly you and I rob it by responding to visible reality and taking things into our own hands. And even worse, we drown the pains of visible reality with legitimate and illegitimate things. That's what I have done. I'm not looking down on you. I'm sharing my own struggles here. So in closing... And I did not know when I was planning this, today is a communion service. Because often during the communion service, uh, the pastor asks us to examine 
uh, ourselves. I want you to ex- I want us to examine in three specific areas connected to what I have taken you through. Number one is, given our calling, you and I are having the same calling. That is, you and I are appointed to the nations and to the kingdoms. But some of us have to go to a place like Tan Ridge Crossing, this economic boundary. Some of us have to go across nations. So the place of calling is different, but the exact calling is the same. In the light of the calling, the first thing I want to ask you is, ask myself is, what are the visible and invisible realities of yours and my place of calling, and how are we responding? And when I look at this, when I look the past week, how it went, I need to confess immediately. Last Sunday, I flew back to Turkey because I had worked there. First three days, it was terrible. Because all I faced was crisis. And I even said to myself, Suresh, maybe God is closing your time in that land. Come back, talk to the people, and just stay here. Just last week. But fourth day, as I started praying fully and seek, saw, uh, sought desperately, God started showing what he's doing. The fourth day, all of a sudden, the, the stress and problems didn't go away. I was changed. I no longer was responding to the visible reality. Invisible reality came. I came back last night in much better peace, and I am ready to go back towards the end of August. And I want you to uh, take a minute to ask, what is the visible reality that is coming to you, and how are you responding? Let's take a minute. And if it's a confession, confess to God in this, in this silence, because that is part of the preparation for breaking bread. The second question I like ourselves to ask is, what walls are we building? Because we are building one thing or the other. And if we take the situation of Nehemiah and the people in Isaiah 22, the people in Isaiah 22, they were building the walls so they could be secure and just go back and party. That's exactly what they did. But Nehemiah built the walls because it was not about the walls. Because walls protected the work that they could begin to rebuild the temple that was in shambles, that was in debris. And that's one of the reasons God has called us to go back to the land where we are. Because the servant churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation is in the land where we serve. They are all archaeological sites now. There's no church there. That's one of the reasons he's calling us to go and rebuild. So my second area, sorry, the second area I'm suggesting for self-examination is what are we rebuilding? Just take 30 seconds and ask God to show if we are off from what he's asking us to confess there. Often when we ask these questions, I don't know about you, even as I was praying right here now, God is bringing areas where I know I'm not rebuilding his kingdom. There are areas. There are things that I'm still responding to visible reality. 
But how do I go about? One of the things I have seen in the last few years is, especially the last 12 months, the amount of time and energy and, and resources that I invest in desperately seeking God is directly in proportion to how I see the invisible reality through the eyes of faith. Let me repeat that. The amount of time, energy and resources that I invest in desperately seeking God continuously is almost always in proportion to the extent that I am able to see the invisible reality through the eyes of faith. So the last one, I want you to examine, not enough time here, because I don't want us to do a quick, short repentance. Examine in the days and weeks to come is, in this, what is our visible reality that is hitting us? And where are we responding with our own practical ways? And what are the walls you and I are rebuilding? And then, it's a reality check. I know when these are there or not. The plumb line is, where am I spending my time, energy and resources? Am I desperately seeking the Holy One? Am I desperate to listen to His voice? Do, am I patient enough to wait? Or no, like Saul did, the priest hasn't come, I'm in a hurry, I'm starting the battle. So let's close in the word of prayer. Father Lord, even uh, I'm sharing this message, I am deeply aware in this part of eternity, none of us can be completely free of these struggles. Yet, for your call to become more like Jesus is to move from beyond the visible reality and to seek you desperately for every situation and for our entire being so that we are continuously transformed. Lord, we confess, often we go for the what is practical and what is even sometimes sacrificial, but it's our idea, things, Lord. And we fail to see, seek the theological vision that you show through the eyes of faith. Forgive us, Lord. Help us, Father, to desperately seek you and not to give you the leftover things or the time or the energy, Lord. And may our, may our identity be redefined continuously as followers of Christ, not by the roles that we are called to represent, Lord. And as we grow through this journey, we pray that you will protect us and guide us so that we glorify you in and through our lives. In Jesus' name. My blessing to you is twofold. The first part is already, uh, Pastor Sam has given you. That is what you have already taken, the cup of repentance. And for me, repentance has become a word that celebrates within my heart because it draws me into that deep, intimate relationship. So I bless you. As you continue to drink from the cup of repentance, you will enjoy that deep intimacy. That's the first one. The second one is from Nehemiah. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Having repented continuously and committed to that lifestyle of repentance, 
you are called to celebrate in Jesus Christ. Go in peace.